say. Brendan and I are going to read from God's Word, Luke 15, 11 to 32. Then Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Give me my share of the property. So the father divided the, the property between his two sons. Then the younger son gathered up all that was his and left. He travelled far away to another country. There he wasted his money in foolish living. He spent everything that he had. Soon after that, the land became very dry and there was no rain. There was not enough food to eat anywhere in, in the country. The son, the son was hungry and needed money, so he got a job with one of the citizens there. The man, was sent, the, sent, the man sent the son to the fields. No, yeah. The man sent the son into the fields to feed pigs. The son was so hungry that he was willing to eat the, the food the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. The son realised that he had been very foolish. He thought, all of my father's servants have plenty of food, but I am here almost dying with hunger. I will leave and return to my father. I say, I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against God and, and have done wrong to you. I am not good enough to be called your son, but let, me, but let me be like one of your servants. So the son left and went to his father. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He felt sorry for his son, so the father ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against God and have done wrong to you. I am not good enough to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Hurry, bring the best clothes and put them on him. Also put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get our fat calf and kill it. Then we can have a feast and celebrate. My son was dead but now he is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. So they began to celebrate. The oldest son was in the field. As he came closer to the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked, what does all this mean? The servant said, your brother has come back. Your father killed the fat calf to eat because your brother came home safely. The oldest son was angry and would not go into the feast. So his father went out and begged him to come in. The son said to his father, I have served you like a slave for many years. I have always obeyed your commands, but you never even killed a young goat for me to have a feast with my friends. But your other son has wasted all your money on prostitutes. Then he comes home and you kill the fat calf for him. The father said to him, son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be happy because your brother was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now he is found. Thanks, Brendan. This again. <laughs> I've got a handout for everyone this morning. And uh, thanks, Dave. So if everyone could um, just take one of these. Thanks, Sarah. Just while the uh, 
the paintings are being passed around and you can just, you'll have lots of opportunity to study this in just a moment, but I just invite you just to, just to hold on to it, but don't direct your attention to it right now because I just want to say a few reflections about Father's Day. Um, firstly, to all our fathers here in the room, grandfathers, happy Father's Day. Um, today is certainly a day to celebrate and give thanks As I think about Father's Day, it is a day to give thanks for my dad and I I, I thank God that I have a great relationship with my dad to this day and I'm very grateful. Um, It's a day to say thanks to dad. So if you have a father, today is a a chance to thank him personally. And and in my case, it's a day to say thanks that I am a dad (laughs) and and that might be for you as well. Um, But I'm always so mindful as well that today is a day for many that is tinged with sadness. Um, You may have a beloved father who is no longer around. Uh, You might have a sadness over the fact that you're not yet a father. You would love to be a father, but for one reason or another, that hasn't yet happened. Um, Maybe there's a sadness for you that you never got to be a father. Um, Maybe there's sadness as you reflect on the fact that you perhaps weren't the father you wish you could have been. You know, today might actually bring up some feelings of regret. And for you, today could be a day of sadness over the reality that you're raising kids with an absent father. Um, with a parent who's not around to support you and give your kids that, that fatherly love that you would hope that they could have. And perhaps for you, and I always think of Rob Kelman in this instance, um, but I'm sure there are others. Today is like a, a dual experience. There's, there's pain and there's regret over how you were fathered, but then there's joy in how you're fathering, <laughs> that you actually have broken the cycle um, and that you're, you, you're a very different father to the father that you had. Um, whenever we speak of parenting, of mothers and fathers, it very quickly gets very personal and complex. So here's my conclusion. All earthly fathers are human. And to be human includes some wonderful aspects of beauty dignity and goodness but to be human is also to be broken imperfect and sinful whenever we look at fathering through the lens of human experience the variety of feelings reflections regrets pain joy gratitude will be complex and to a degree, incomplete. And the reason for this is that ultimately there is only one Father who is truly good. There's only one Father who completely embodies everything we deep down know a Father ought to be. And our deepest Father need can only be filled by Him because... He embodies fatherhood perfectly and completely. 
And so on this Father's Day, I want to invite us to turn our gaze towards heaven and to look at our heavenly Father, the one truly good Father. And if we want to understand what true father here, fatherhood is all about, well, we need look no further than this beautiful, rich parable that Jesus gives in Luke 15, commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. This week, as I wrote a Father's Day card to my dad, I realised that I had nothing new to say. <laughs> Anything I wanted to say, I've, I've, I've said it. Um, but I thought, you know what? Here is another opportunity to retell the story of my gratitude for my dad and that I am the father that I am today largely because of the father that he was to me. And um, as I think about this story of the prodigal son, you know, for many of us, there's a sense of there's nothing new about this story. We've Many of us have heard it time and time again, so much so that it kind of, it can almost become a little bit like water off a duck's back. Uh, but I think that this is a story that we would do well to keep retelling, just like it's important for sons to keep retelling their fathers that they're grateful for who they are and all that they've done. I think as God's children, it's important for us to keep retelling the stories of his fatherhood, to remind ourselves of what kind of a father he is. And this beautiful parable so eloquently describes the father heart of God like no other. This week I've been especially touched by Henry Nguyen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. Uh, which is a reflection of Nguyen's journey with this beautiful 17th century Rembrandt masterpiece. I don't have time now to talk about Henry, Henry Nguyen. He is an amazing man um, and has quite a remarkable story. Um, if you don't know of his story, I'd invite you to Google it or, or talk to me about it. But... Um, Nguyen experienced a period or a season that he refers to as a dark night of the soul. And during this time, he discovered this painting. Uh, and he spent three months with this original painting in the Hermitage Museum of St. Petersburg, Russia, where it remains today. And spending three months with this painting that you have in your hands healed his depression uh, and healed the sense of distance that he felt from God. And I thought this morning, for something different and special for us to do, we could just spend a bit of time with this remarkable picture and I would just love to share with you um, what... Uh, many of the reflections that Nguyen has. These are not my reflections, these are Nguyen's reflections that I'm just sharing with you as my 
church family because it's, it's blessed me so much and I trust that it might do the same for you. Um, you each have your own copy of Rembrandt's painting. I want to invite you now just to linger with it for a while. Look into it with the eyes of your heart. What do you notice? Where do you see yourself in this picture? What do you feel when you look at it? Could I ask, what is your relationship or what was your relationship with your father like? And what is your relationship with your heavenly father like? There are six figures in this scene and there's a really strong kind of foreground, background contrast going on. Three characters are completely in the shadows. Two are in the light and one is in between. He's tinged with both light and darkness. And Rembrandt has very intentionally and very carefully placed each character where they are for a particular reason. And that reason is for each of us, for those who view his painting, to find a character that they can identify with. As we explore these characters, you might find yourself going, actually, yeah, I I identify quite strongly with this particular character in the story. Um, Wherever you find yourself, you might today be challenged to move to a different space in the picture. (laughs) It's been suggested that the man who is seated near the centre is a tax collector, He is contrasted with the elder brother, uh, who's also considered a Pharisee-type figure. The man who is sitting beats his breast in humble confession of his need to receive the father's mercy along with the prodigal son. And here we find a parallel of humility and pride. The very same parallel... Uh, in the parable that Jesus told of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And interestingly, um, the early church would often tell these two stories in parallel, the prodigal son and the Pharisee and the tax collector, because both of them have images of pride and humility. And how fascinating that Rembrandt has actually picked up on that in this painting of the return of the prodigal son. There's a, a man, and now the other, the two really shadowy characters uh, looking on from behind could, could be men or women. So the first person that you see from behind is looking on with interest. There's an intention. They, they see the father's embrace, um, but they're so far away. 
They're in the darkness. They're in the background. They're observing, but they're not in any way receiving or participating. Uh, And the other person who's very difficult to see, you certainly wouldn't see it on the screen. You might see it on the picture you've got there. Very, very faint. Um, This person is, is very removed. They're not entering into the experience, just a, an unseen observer. Hmm. I want you now to focus on the sun. The son is dressed in rags and he's resting against the father's breast. His rags betray the misery that lies behind his story. The son, as you know from the story told earlier, had left home full of pride, uh, a lot of money, determined to live the good life as far away as possible from his father and from the community in which he'd grown up in. And he returns with absolutely nothing. He has no more money. He appears to have lost his health, his honour, his whatever dignity or self-respect he once had is all gone. Even his head has been shaved like that of a, a common prisoner. That's how Rembrandt has pictured him. And, you know, a common prisoner would have their head shaved and, and it's as if this person has become a number rather than a name. And this son has just been completely degraded. He also has no red cloak. Interestingly, the elder brother has a red cloak similar to the father. The red cloak gives dignity. It gives status. The younger brother has no such cloak. The soles of his feet... I have a bigger picture up here for you to look at. The soles of his feet tell an interesting story of themselves. The left foot slipped out is worn and scarred. The right foot, only partially covered, uh, has a a half-broken sandal. And again, the feet tell a story of a journey, I think, to start with. I I find that language of journey very powerful. The son had taken a journey. It is a journey that has cost him. It is a journey that um, has resulted in great loss and pain and wound. This man has been disposed of everything except for one thing his sword. You'll see uh, on his right hip a sword. And this is a symbol of nobility. This is a symbol of dignity. And the sword is a symbol of his sonship. you would know the reference to God's word being the sword of truth. And there's a truth 
that the son never let go of, even though he wandered so far. And even though he returned with a speech about wanting to be one of his father's hired hands, he begins that speech by referring to his dad as father. You see, he still understands himself as a son. And that's the truth of God's word. We understand, when we truly understand God's word, we truly understand that no matter how far we've gone, that does not change our status as sons and daughters of God. What a wonderful promise. And I think it was this truth that finally caused the son to turn back. (laughs) See the son against the father's heart. He is completely oblivious to the other bystanders. He has no concern for their onlooking. He is completely present with the Father. And he is just enveloped by the Father's embrace and he is receiving that love in a very humble position. It's as if he is only aware of the presence of the Father. I love this insight that Nguyen highlights. He writes, I am touching here the mystery that Jesus himself became the prodigal son for our sake. He left the house of his heavenly Father, came to a foreign country, gave away all that he had, and returned through his cross to his Father's home. All of this he did, not as a rebellious son, but in fact as an obedient son, sent out to bring home all the lost children of God. And Nguyen goes on to ask, is not this broken and lost son the Lamb of God, Uh, the innocent Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? And um, this beautiful line that Nguyen writes about the return of this son is almost like the return of, 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 of humanity, of broken, sinful humanity returning home because Jesus became guilty for us. Now I invite you to focus on the Father's face. We see a half-blind old man with a moustache and a parted beard, dressed in a gold-embroidered garment and a deep red cloak, laying his large stiffened hands on the shoulders of his returning son. This is what we see, but we also see in this picture an image of um, incomparable grace. Deep, heart-wrenching, costly forgiveness 
um, abounding, unconditional love is all there in that moment, isn't it? And Rembrandt portrays a very still father. There's no movement in that scene. Um, uh, and, and, and the father is, is half blind. <laughs> and there's a sense here that, yes, he sees his son with his physical eyes, but more importantly, there's a sense of the father sees the son with his heart, with the eyes of his heart. And in fact, that's where he holds the son closest, is his heart. This father wants his children to be free. He wants them to be free to love. And that freedom comes with a risk. A risk that his children may take everything and go to a land far away. But he is prepared to allow that freedom because with that freedom also comes the choice to freely love. And God does not want coerced relationship with us. He doesn't want forced love. He offers each and every one of us the choice to a relationship with him. The father knows how much this extravagant love could hurt him. And yet he still chooses to offer this unconditional love. Just speaks so powerfully of the heart of God. The true centre of Rembrandt's painting is the hands of the father. On them, all the light is concentrated. In them, mercy becomes flesh. Upon them, forgiveness, reconciliation and healing all come together. Through them, not only the Son, but there's a sense of also the Father finding their true rest. We've got a bigger picture of the hands that might be helpful. Thank you, Emma. The Father wants to say more with his hands than with his words. You are my beloved, on whom all my favour rests. Incredibly powerful. Now, interestingly, you'll see that the two hands are quite different. The Father's left hand touching the Son's shoulder is strong and muscular. The fingers are spread out and cover a large part of the prodigal's shoulder and back. And we can see a certain pressure exerted from the thumb. That thumb and that hand seems not only to touch with a strength, but also there's a sense of holding, carrying. Even though there is a gentleness in this hand, there is also an incredible strength, a firmness. But notice how the father's right hand is different from the left. Sorry, yeah, 
And this hand does not hold or grasp. It is refined, soft, and very tender. The fingers are closer together, and it's a very eloquent picture of a hand. The hand lies gently on the son's shoulder. It wants to caress and stroke and offer consolation and comfort. It is a mother's hand. The father is not simply patriarch. He is mother as well as father. He touches the son with both a masculine and a feminine hand. He holds and and she comforts. Isn't that beautiful? And then there is the great red cloak with its warm colour and its arch-like shape. It offers a very welcome place where it is good to be. At first, the cloak covering the bent-over body of the father looks like a tent. It literally looks like an old tent that the traveller would actually go inside to find rest. You can see the arch door And as we continue to gaze at this image, another picture comes that is intended to come to mind, and that is the sheltering wings of the mother bird. And Nguyen points out the uh, beautiful passage that Jesus quotes in Matthew, where he says, that speaks of God's maternal love, where Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. And... Day and night, God holds us close and tight and secure. And so, very surprisingly, incorporated with an old Jewish patriarch, there also emerges a loving mother receiving her son home. The overwhelming image is one of compassion. The heart of this father burns with an incredible, intense desire to bring his children home. They are his only concern. This betrayal of God, whose goodness, love, forgiveness, care, joy and compassion knows no limit. And I think... Here we find fatherhood pictured at its best. (laughs) So, you know, at the start, I mentioned all of these complex layers that a day like today brings to the surface. And I just want to lead us to this place. Because this resolves all of them. (laughs) This is the only place that can resolve all of the tension and the complexity of fatherhood. Finally, let's consider the elder brother. 
He looks down on the father and the prodigal son with a frown of condemnation. He is suspicious of such extravagant love displayed by his aging father and he hesitates on the verge of the action. He hovers on the edge of the light. He absorbs some of that light, but it is involuntary. He cannot bring himself to step into the light. Rather, the goodness of the Father radiates so profoundly that even in the darkness, he is still reached and he has a choice to make. Pride holds him back. There's an inner battle that wages within his soul. And this is not only portrayed in his face, but also the wringing of his hands. There is tension in those hands. And there's also a large gap between the father and the elder son. A gap that also creates tension in the picture. Tension that longs to be resolved. There are many elder sons and elder daughters who are lost while still at home. Often we think about lostness in terms of actions that are quite visible, even spectacular. The younger son sinned in a way that is so easily identifiable. Uh, The lostness of the elder son, however, is harder to identify. Even though he was obedient, dutiful, hardworking and no doubt admired by many as a model son, when confronted with his father's joy at the irresponsible younger brother's return, we see that there is in fact a darkness that kind of explodes. and boils to the surface. And for many of us, it's understandable that I I, I think in principle, we would sympathize with the elder brother. Uh, He'd done nothing wrong. He'd kind of lived life by the rules. He'd not left home. He'd not broken his father's heart. However, what Jesus is wanting to teach through this story is that faith is more than being obedient to the rules. I mean, isn't it fascinating that, in fact, the reckless son is the model son, not the obedient son? Fascinating. God's not about rules. He's about relationship. And look at the relationship between the younger son and the father. It's just incredible. But I think some of us are more comfortable with rules than relationship. Nguyen contends that from the story itself, as well as from Rembrandt's painting, it's clear that the hardest conversion to go through is the conversion of the one who stayed at home. So powerful. 
Now, in the parable, there are fields where the eldest son is present and there's the party, the celebration. Well, Rembrandt portrays these elements with light and darkness. And what this shows us is that the celebration, the party, uh, is, is, is in the light of the Father's face, where the light is most concentrated. Um, and the fields is kind of the darkness, the shadows. The elder brother is outside in one sense. He stands apart from his father, but his father's light is so radiant uh, that he almost can't help but be affected by it, even if it is involuntary. What a beautiful picture of how God responds to those who distance themselves from his love and grace. The possibility for redemption and reunion is always within reach. Now we're going to wrap up, but I want to thank you so much for your time. I trust that this has been an exercise that on this day of all days blesses your spirit. Nguyen recounts in his book that one day he had a long discussion with one of his close friends and after talking with her about being the youngest son or the older son, she said to him, whether you are the youngest son or the oldest son, you have to realise you are called to become the father. Look at the father in the painting and you will know who you are called to be. This is a fascinating movement. I don't know about you, but whenever I hear this story or have heard this story taught, you know, you're kind of always given the option, which son are you? But in fact, that's not the question. Because we start out as sons and daughters, don't we? But real maturity takes us to become fathers and mothers. We don't remain the son or the daughter, we grow up and become the loving parent. And that's the challenge that this painting offers to us. Do we want to be like the Father? Do we want to not just be ones who are forgiven, but ones who forgive? Do we want to be those not only who receive compassion and love and light, but those who extend compassion and love and light? The return to the Father is ultimately the challenge to become the Father. Becoming the compassionate father is the ultimate goal of the spiritual life. This is the gospel. The gospel calls us first and foremost to receive God's costly, boundless love at the cross. But it doesn't remain there. 
we are then invited to a life of reflection, of being love and light and forgiveness and grace to the dark places in this world so that more and more people might experience the love and the grace of this truly good Father. Amen. Amen.